This episode of All My Friends Are In Bar Bands was recorded on the land of the Gadigal-Wongal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to elders past and present, and we acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded, and this always was, always will be, Aboriginal land. Enjoy the episode. on everybody it's david james young here for another week of all my friends are in bar bands very very good to have you back with us thanks so much for tuning in and checking this out this week on the podcast we have a very dear friend of mine mr dave jenkins jr now if you don't know the name dave jenkins jr you absolutely know some of the names that he has played for he is the drummer behind acts like vera blue and Wafia, and Andy Bull, and Reese Maston, and Kieran J. Callanan, and a whole, whole myriad of other performers. He is a multi-instrumentalist, a session musician, and now a solo artist. He has just kicked off uh, his first proper solo project called Not A Boy's Name, that's just recently released a couple of singles, and there is plenty more where that came from. We went deep on this one. This is the longest episode of All My Friends Are In Bar Bands in quite some time. We had about an hour and we took it to full advantage uh, and Dave and I got into it. We've known each other for a really long time and I've seen him uh, go through the ringer a a bunch in terms of the work that he's doing and, you know... uh, Searing highs, crushing lows, all that sort of stuff. And uh, I really, really respect Dave as a musician, as a performer, and as a guy. Like, I I think he's generally one of the best and loveliest people in the Australian music industry. And uh, it was so, so great to catch up with him and get to talk about the old days, uh, the middle days, the current days, everything in between. We really, really get into it. So if you want to know... uh, a bit more about, I guess, what it's like to be a session musician working in Australia, then uh, this is a really cool insight into that particular world, uh, because Dave really has done it all, pretty much in most genres that you can think of, and uh, he is still working uh, incredibly to this day, uh, doing all sorts of really, really cool shit across the board, so very, very stoked to have Dave on the podcast. I want to give a big thank you to Marie over at the Universal Music Group for helping to set this one up and make it happen. I want to give a big thank you as well to Forbes Street Studios. This is on a technical basis, the first ever studio episode of this podcast. Uh, If you are familiar with this podcast, then you'll know that more often than not, uh, it's based on field recordings, we'll be out at a pub, or we'll just be sitting near (laughs) some sort of equipment or some sort of uh, uh, sound check or anything like that. There's always one one thing or the other going on while I'm recording. (laughs) But... Uh, this is the first ever episode in which that didn't happen because, uh, Marie was nice enough to book out a studio for us, and sure enough, uh, we got to use proper microphones and all that sort of shit. Just plugged it into the Zoom and there we were, so... 
Yeah, crazy shit. <laughs> it took a bit of getting used to, I'll say that much. Before we get stuck into it, there are a couple of ways that you can support this podcast if you like what you hear. If you can rate the podcast, uh, review it and uh, over on Apple Podcasts, or uh, indeed subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from, we are on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Stitcher. We are, yeah, literally if you have a podcast app, you can just type All My Friends Are In Bar Bands In and you will be able to find us. Uh, Now, the big development, well, big, you know, it's a development at the very least. The development that has happened since uh, the last time I spoke to you is that I have officially decided to uh, cut all social media for all my friends earned bar bands. Now, this has been interpreted as me ending the podcast, but uh, I'm very much here to tell you that that is not the case. more it has to do with me opting out of uh, the algorithm and the bullshit that comes along with uh, trying to build an audience uh, on a budget uh, against a you know a system that actively is working against you. Uh, I, I just do not see the point in keeping up Twitter accounts, the Facebook account, or the Instagram account for that matter, when it is very clear that uh, they don't want this stuff to be seen. Yeah, I, I, I'm getting next to no help out here, and it's a, it's a real, real struggle a lot of the time. So, yeah, I, if you want to find all my friends who are in bar bands online, all my friends who are in barbands.com is the place to do it. You can also email. Uh, the podcast at barbandspod, B-A-R-B-A-N-D-S-P-O-D at gmail.com if you'd like to get in touch that way. And that is it. We are not on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram anymore because there's no point, really. (sighs) Uh, That might sound a bit depressing, but look, I I just really need to be honest here. You know, that's, that's the kind of situation that we're dealing with. Anyway... Those are the ways that you can get in touch. All my friends are in barbands.com, barbandspod at gmail.com. And if you would like to go above and beyond and become an absolute certifiable fucking legend in my books, then you can help to financially support this podcast and me personally by supporting me on Patreon. Uh, For as little as $1 a month, you are getting access to uh, exclusive writing content, uh, updates, newsletters, playlists, all the kind of stuff that I, I love doing and I love creating and I love making. And that is all entirely available for you. Uh, Again, for as little as $1 a month, as I'm moving away more from posting stuff on social media because of, you know, the the way that the, the algorithm is set up, one of the best ways you can stay in touch and keep invested in what I'm doing is supporting me on Patreon. So, if that is of interest, then please head over to www.patreon.com slash David James Young. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash David James Young. Wonderful. Thank you again so much for all of the support. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your interest. All of it is massively, massively appreciated. Let's get into it right now with the wonderful, inimitable Dave Jenkins Jr. A.K.A. Not a boy's name. La 
Life is a hazard perception test. I never studied, but I do my best. Run up the gutters and off the road. I never learned where to go. You judge me at every turn I make. Like a backseat I'm David James Young, and all my friends are in bar bands. Today, I would like to introduce you to my friend, Dave Jenkins Jr. Hey, David. It's nice to be here. It's nice to have you here, David. Thanks. We are in Sydney. We are at Forbes Street Studios in Wollamaloo, which is uh, obviously one of the best suburb names in the world to, to say, yeah. to spell, just, just in general. It's I've, I've got a friend who calls it, um, what's he call it? It's a sheep dunny cow dunny. <laughs> Is what he's referred to it as. Yeah, yeah we go. Yeah, perfect. When you're trying to explain it to foreigners. Yes. Because I've had a few, yeah, like friends from overseas, they call it Wulu Mulu, and they can't quite get their heads around how it's pronounced or what the word actually is. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, sheep dunny cow dunny. Perfect. It's much easier. I love it. I love yeah. it. <laughs> uh, so, yes, uh, Dave has just been in the midst of... Uh, been a busy boy, haven't you? You had the solo thing going this year, and yeah. you've been playing still with. You, you did some shows with TK as well, filming yeah. in for yeah. previous guests of the show, Tim Commander. That's right, TK Mazer. I've done two shows with TK that Tim couldn't do. I've been playing. Wasn't with... he literally already playing at the same time, the yeah. exact same time? So that was that was one of those classic situations that I find myself in because I play for Vera Blue, yeah, and I also play for Wafia. And they were both on the same festival. It was Big Pineapple Festival. Oh, true, yeah. Uh, about a month ago. And um, I got asked to do both. And it was all okay with both both parties. Totally fine with it as long as there wasn't a physical overlap on the right. same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and there kind of wasn't, but it was very close. But we managed to make it all work. And then just to throw a, a, a further spanner in the works, Tim hit me up and he said, Hey, man, I, like, I see that you're playing with uh, Vera Blue at Big Pineapple do you think you could do the TK set? And I looked at the set times, and it was a couple of hours later. So yeah. I said yes. Because... So you played three sets in one day? <laughs> yeah. Fuck, man, you're a machine. <laughs> that's in, that's insane. Yeah, I don't I don't really want to do it again. No, it was... <laughs> I can't imagine. <laughs> it was hell. Oh, God. Um, it's like I always say, though. If, if you're backstage at a festival and Dave Jenkins isn't there setting something up, it's just like, what's your <laughs> festival worth? Yeah, he's yeah. got. He's got to yeah. be there with someone. Just, I'm just a part of the furniture now. Yeah, they just, they just pull me off the truck. <laughs> yeah, dust me off and yeah, put, that's throw it. me on stage. There he goes. <laughs> as long as he, as long as he looks shiny, he'll be fine. That's right. <laughs> so it was through one of these kind of session gigs that we met for the first time. Yeah, many uh, moons ago. Nine about about nine and a bit years ago. Wow. Uh, you were playing again with previous guests of the show, Mr. Andy Bull. That's right. Uh, so that was with uh, Mr. Alex Bennison, mm-hmm. uh, who you also played with in Slow Down Honey. And now he, he was playing with Meg Washington for a bit. He's he's with Dean Lewis now. Oh, true. Yeah. Yeah, right. He's the Dean Lewis guy. Yeah, and right. those guys have just been doing laps around the world. Yeah. That's how big Dean is at the moment. <laughs> Crazy, Crazy shit. How did you cross paths with those two guys for the first time? Well, I've known Alex since kindergarten. No shit. Yeah, him and I actually learnt our instruments together when we were about nine, I think. Yeah, wow. Eight or nine. We went through all the phases that kids go through, like we liked Ninja Turtles, and then it was Terminator 2 and Batman and all this stuff. And we yeah, were like, yeah. 
both of us were really into uh, drawing comic books and his parents were a little bit more lax on like horror movies and like movie ratings and stuff. So I'd yeah, go yeah. to his house and we'd watch like Nightmare on Elm Street and um, Friday the 13th and all those like hectic horror movie. Sort oh, of, sure. Yeah. Like the, yeah, all the big ones. And I'd go there and just get exposed to all this stuff. And then go home and, and uh, just tell my parents that we had a nice time and we coloured in some pictures. <laughs> <laughs> but then that, that obsession that we had with like all of those things and making comic books and horror movies, we then just kind of funneled that into music. Mm-hmm. Uh, his dad had a guitar and my dad played the drums. Um, and we discovered Nirvana and the Beatles. And that just set us on this path. Yeah. And we've been playing music together ever since. Crazy. And it was through Alex that I met Andy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Because Alex started playing with Andy. They were just doing a lot of, like, duo shows. Yeah, yeah, that's right. um, Without a drummer. Yeah. And uh, they were like, oh, let's try Dave to, you know, come in and play some drums, maybe play some keyboard, maybe Mm. do some other stuff. Yeah. And I just ended up, yeah, being the drummer for Andy for a couple of years there. Yeah. And And playing bass for a few shows as well. Yeah, I played bass for a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because why not? Sure. It's easy enough. You can play. <laughs> you are one of those cheeky fuckers that can play everything. I try to. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. Jack but... of all trades, no. but a master of none. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. So I begin these by tracing back the initial interest in music, like specifically where it changed from being something that maybe you're watching on TV, listening to on the radio, that sort of stuff, to being like, this is what I want to do. I want to play instruments. I want to sing. I want to be a musician. I want to be in bands, that sort of thing. Can you tell me how music kind of factored into your childhood and your upbringing? I think it, it kind of all started because my old man played the drums. Ah, Dave um, Jenkins Sr. Dave Jenkins Sr., that's right. And he did it all through my childhood, played in bands. And before, kind of before I came along, he was having a real crack at doing the session stuff and playing oh, in for bands. Real? Yeah, playing yeah. in bands around Sydney and but he had kids and quite young as well, so kind of had to move away from that. Right. Had a son who liked music and just lived vicariously through me. <laughs> <laughs> in a good way. Sure. Um yeah, but we, we always had drums around the house, we had a guitar, you know, my parents were always listening to music, like just all the classic parent stuff, like yeah, yeah. Carol King and yeah. Fleetwood Mac and then my dad liked a bit of the jazz fusion stuff like Chick Corea. And, oh, true, yeah. Um, yeah, was obsessed with Steve Gadd, so we listened to anything that Steve Gadd played drums on. Yeah, yeah. And then I think, yeah, it was when I was about eight or nine that Alex and I kind of started gravitating towards music just kind of organically and just because we were surrounded by it at home. Mm. And I think having a best friend that was obsessed with it as much as I was was the thing that really pushed me through, you know, those those kind of awkward stages of learning an instrument. Yeah. Um you know, because I think a lot of, especially in young kids, you know, if they don't get something immediately or if it's a little bit hard to master, then they might not necessarily stick with it because you have that short attention span and you just want it to be good straight away. And so I think the thing with having Alex there as well is we were both kind of there the whole time. And, you know, I wanted to play a Beatles song. He wanted to play like Jimi Hendrix. Yeah, yeah. So we'd, be, we'd, we'd both go off and learn these songs because we had someone else that was kind of relying on us to be able to play it. Yeah, yeah. For no other reason than to just kind of like satisfy that urge that we had as little kids classic to yeah to be rock stars yeah. <laughs> that that stayed with us all through high school you know we, we played in each other's bands and we had all these musical projects kind of started with grunge and then that kind of gravitated towards heavy metal and like metallica and slayer and yeah, pantera and yeah then, yeah and then we got to that stage where we were resisting those things and just wanted to play the Beatles. Mm. <laughs> it kind of came like <laughs> Come full, circle, full, full yeah. circle back to that stuff that we loved when we were little kids. And then now I think we've just landed somewhere 
in between. Yeah. You know, like I, I love all that stuff that I liked as a teenager for different reasons now, like almost yeah. a little bit ironically. But that, that influence is still there when I write music and, yeah. you know, when I find new things that I like to listen to. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Where did you grow up? Uh, on the Central Coast. Yeah, right. Yeah. So whereabouts were you? I was in Empire Bay. Right. And, okay. Yeah, Alex was in Bensville. Right. So we kind of in the bush, like a little bit, you know, segregated from that main part of the coast where, you know, that the train line runs through. Yeah, grew up there and then went to a school, uh, Empire Bay Public School, which again was like pretty sectioned off from the rest of the coast. And then we all went to Woiwo High School, which was the opposite. Oh, which true, was just yeah. mass exposure to like teen pregnancy and <laughs> little kids that are smoking in the toilets and yeah. getting dacked every time you go out for lunch and oh, <laughs> all sorts man. of horrible things. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, like there were a couple of things that kind of stemmed out of uh, Central Coast, like over the last couple of years where things have kind of picked up from there. Like something with numbers from were Yeah, a lot of pop there. punk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was it. it was like Penrith and the Central Coast yeah. with the big like pop punk. Was Wonder Shot from yeah. Senny as well? Yeah. They're like the grandfathers of pop Hell punk. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, good shit. Yeah. After the, fall, after the fall was after the fall after the fall as well. Fucking hell! Yeah, after the fall, cool man. Man, some good shit. Yeah, Love mirror, mirror, guys. man. That's one of those like I wish I wrote that song yeah. kind of tracks. Hey, yeah, <laughs> that's it. And then oh, there was lots of stuff, and we were kind of always on the outside of that as well. We had a band called uh, Finer was the name of our band. Okay, and we were, we were self. <laughs> I guess we were, we were very like very much art rock in our own eyes. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, self-referential art rock. <laughs> <laughs> the best Com- kind. Yeah, compared to like pop punk. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah. But it was, yeah, it was very much just like grungy Beatles music with yeah. weird lyrics. Sick. But But we never, we could never do those shows. We could never fit on those pop punk bills. Yeah, yeah. And we're always desperate to get some kind of following, but mm. we just couldn't really... When we weigh in there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so we always thought, you know, when we get to Sydney, man, that's when we're going to make it. That's a dream. When we crack that Sydney Hell scene. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so when was the first time you ever played live? How old were you? Um, oh, it would have been like real early days, like nine years old or something. Our yeah. school Our school used to have talent quests. Yeah, yeah. And so Alex and I entered this talent quest and played uh, Sunshine of Your Love by Cream. Mm-hmm. Won the talent quest. Mm. You know, smashed it. <laughs> fucking amazing and then yeah it was just kind of like uh, every every year after that we'd get asked back we weren't allowed to compete because they thought we were like too good too good yeah um, so we would be the special guest and we'd play in the breaks which was great for us because it meant we got to play more songs classic so like every year was just the lead up to the talent quest were you playing drums yeah I was playing yeah. drums back then yeah. oh man Ginger Baker man that's a that's a good one to emulate yeah yeah exactly because Every time anyone tries to play Sunside of Your Love, they're always trying to do it with that four on the floor. Get the backbeat in no, there. No, but yeah. it's just like, no, the whole point of those verses are just... Flips it. Yeah. It's like focusing on like the one and three, you know, like really driving that home. As a little kid, like I didn't understand any of that. So it kind of made more sense to me. Like I loved Ginger Baker and Keith Moon and Ringo. Yeah. Because it was all stuff that I could kind of play. Yeah. And I mean, especially with Ringo, it's like parts that were so simple. It's like you play the the right foot and then you play the left hand and then the right hand and never the three shall meet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's like one thing at a time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Charlie Watts was the same. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I still do that to this day. Like, you know, every now and then I'll be playing a beat and I'll bring my right hand off when the snare goes yeah, down. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and I think it sounds cool. 
You know? it's, it works, man, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Emphasize the backbeat a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> it's a real thing. Classic. Charlie. Did you go to Sydney straight after high school? Was that the plan? Yeah, I had a weird couple of years after high school because the band that I was in with Alex and, and my friend Tim as well, who went on to be in the Vines and uh, the Griswolds. Oh, yeah, band, yeah, yeah. Tim John. So we had a band, the three of us. And he ended um, up in Something with Numbers as well for a bit, I'm pretty sure. Probably. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Him and Lockie. Yeah. yeah. And now we're in the Vines as well for a bit. Yeah. yeah. That's right. Now Lockie's in Walk the Moon. So there's just all yeah, kinds of shit the, going on. He's on the other side of the world. Man, I think we got he's a good, like, we got like a good, like, family tree going yeah. on here, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like... Love to draw it up someday. Oh, dude, for sure. That, that, especially from the Central Coast. It all kind oh, of trickles man. down and it becomes part of all these major label artists that end up on the other side of the world. It's crazy, right? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's good fun. I do like it. Yeah. I sometimes forget and then I'll bump into someone and. We just have all this history and we're like referencing yeah, all these yeah, things yeah. from like high school and you just He's like, remember that? that? You know, He's just yeah. like, Yeah, yeah, I do. Oh man, especially <laughs> Alex Bennison, he has like an elephant's memory. Oh dude, he, for sure. He brings up in jokes that we had when we we're in year three. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> and then he somehow will bring everyone else in on the joke yeah, as yeah. well. Like anyone that's listening within the issue. He's like, Oh, Dave used to do this thing to Miss yeah. Tracy. I'm like, who? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> fuck, that's unreal. But um, yeah. Any, I, anyway, yeah. Sorry to, to sorry to pull from the story. <laughs> <laughs> There's gonna be many tangents. Oh, I, I'm all for yeah. it. I'm all for it. Um, but yeah, straight after high school, it was kind of weird that band that I was in with Alex and Tim. Um, we signed this development deal with this company in Melbourne, who kind of ultimately screwed us over. They were just like the bad guys. I for one, industry. I'm shocked. Yeah, they're <laughs> just the bad guys you hear about that kind of take people's money and don't do anything. And, and so we got really burnt out from that. Our band split up and we ended up not talking for a little while. And so I just kind of went off. I started working at an adult store. Which was really? Like my first job. Flogging uh, dildos. Yeah. First job out of high school, which was eye-opening, <laughs> to say the least. Quite literally, yeah. yeah. And yeah, I did that for like two years and just kind of started. I wrote a few of my own songs. I, I was in another band with my friend Tobias Priddle, who is now a producer in Melbourne. Right. He produces a bunch of artists. And my friend Billy, Billy Burgess, who is a writer for Beat Magazine now. Oh, true. Yeah. Nice one. But yeah, we had a band and we kind of did the whole thing of doing the, I guess, like just that, that indie schlog of like mm. playing everywhere in Sydney and had a, a really hard go at it for ages. Yeah. Um, and almost got signed. And then, again, it all fell apart, as it does. As it's wont to do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and then it was that point when I was about 22, I think, that mm. I moved to Sydney. And yeah, right. decided that I didn't want to be in bands anymore. I was a bit burnt out by it. A bit and, burnt out by it almost happened. And now you're in more bands than anyone that I can yeah, think of. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. But, I, yeah, you know, I've got that weird session musician, like, sluttiness going yeah. on. <laughs> <laughs> Where you, you know you don't have to pledge allegiance to to one act. No, specifically. freelancer baby. Yeah, yeah. Which as long I kinda, as the price I is like. right, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah. yeah, what what was going on in those like kind of intervening years? Like, did you was it ever in the back of your head that you were going to return to music, or was it kind of just like, nah, nah, I've been burnt too many times. Well, yeah, I mean, I did get a little bit jaded by it but I, yeah, I couldn't really escape it and yeah. uh, you know after that first those first couple of initial failures that's when I kind of really just start um just started writing my own music yeah decided just go away and kind of vent my frustrations pick up guitar and just get anything out and I never really thought that what I was doing 
was going to be heard by anyone or that it was kind of good enough to to even release. And I ended up just doing that, you know, off and on for like, you know, the next 10 years, which is what ultimately led to the solo project that I have now. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is the first time that any anything like that has been released by me. Yeah. Because I always had that that imposter syndrome, you know, at the back of my head just kind of telling me that, you know, this is not real music or this yeah. is not as good as the stuff that you play with other people. No yeah, one's yeah, going to yeah. listen to it. Mm. So I, ne- I never really pushed it onto anyone or, or tried to get it heard by anyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just by coincidence that it that it did get heard, you know, by a label and by other people that were interested in releasing it. So at what point did things start picking up again? Like... Was playing with with Andy and Benno the first thing you'd done in a while, or it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. At that stage, so I'd I'd lived in Sydney for a little bit, and I had started working at Alan's Music and just selling guitars to little kids. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> basically classic. <laughs> yeah, which you know is is like the the other side of the jaded spectrum. Yeah, yeah, I just yeah. got burnt out by that as well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And yeah, and there's so many times you can see yourself in some little kid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, and I, yeah, at, the, at that stage, I was working with a good friend of mine, James McKenna, who is obsessed with synthesizers. Right. And just like all day, every day at work, he would just talk about synths. And that was kind of the first time I'd been exposed to like the synthesizer as an instrument. Right. Yeah. You know, like living on the coast, it was all just guitar and drums, and yeah, we we're obsessed course, with yeah. grunge music and stuff. And so I got really deep on that just through that. I guess, like, piquing my interest, I started playing with Slow Down Honey on keys. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I joined back up with Alex and um, played synth. I played guitar in that band. Oh, man. Face palm. Um, Oh, I love a bit of guitar. Yeah. It has its moments. (laughs) Oh, totally. None of the moments were when I was playing it. (laughs) (laughs) They were bad moments. Um, yeah, and then and then I started playing with Andy and did a few tours with him mm. while I was still working at Allen's and yeah. um, used up all my sick pay and my leave and all all of that stuff. And uh, we got the opportunity to go over and play for the troops in East Timor, mm. which I think we were one of the last groups of people to do that because mm. um, they they then removed the presence out of that country because it wasn't really needed anymore. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I put that to my work and they just said, no way, you don't have any leave left, you can't do this amazing thing, you have to stay here and work. And I said, nah, I think I will go to East Timor, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and I did, I just quit on the spot and did that and that was the start of it. That was like the last time I had a job. Um, yeah, for real. Yeah. So everything from there was like just purely dedicated to, to playing again. Yeah, that's it. That's and, you know, incredible. Because I kind of had to, you know, out of necessity. Yeah. Like I had to make money and just had to kind of say yes to everything for a yeah. while. And so I just really started putting myself out there and going to gigs and meeting mm. people. And, and um, you know, like I'd see a solo artist whose music I loved. Yeah. Then they, they might not necessarily have a band or they might have been playing as a duo or whatever. And I'd just like introduce myself and yeah. get chatting to them about, you know, if they need a drummer, you know. I, I could be the guy. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, and I did that a bunch. I mean, like the first few times I did it, I remember playing for uh, one artist and like I got, I think the first few shows I got paid $5 to do it. Wow. <laughs> but I just wanted to do it. I liked the music and it was just kind of a situation where they'd get paid for the show and maybe mm. like 10 people would be there. So you split it up with yeah. the band members. And <laughs> it's just nice and here's, easy. Yeah, yeah. Here's your drink tickets and your $5. Classic. And I was stoked. Because yeah. I was, you know, playing music and yeah. I was like a professional drummer. Yeah. 
Got paid five bucks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, after that, I think the next thing I remember seeing you in, I, I remember watching uh, a music video and being like, is that fucking Jenko up the back? And sure enough, there he was being a rock star with Mr. Reese Maston. Oh, yeah. How did that come about? <laughs> Again, that's one of those strange things that, you know, a lot of people, like I get hit up online a lot um, with like younger drummers or musicians that are kind of trying to break into that scene, yeah. trying to do more gigs. And they always ask me like how I got started mm. and how I ended up in a specific role like because you know now I do like a music direction for a bunch of artists which yeah. is like putting together the whole show yeah do all the back end Ableton stuff like I've done some big gigs like that but the thing that kind of started it all was just these weird little opportunities that would pop up that I was able to say yes to because I had nothing else on yeah you know I didn't have a job or I didn't have anything yeah. <laughs> um, just looking at the empty calendar I'm, yeah. I'm pretty free man yeah so a friend of mine who actually did a few tours in something with numbers as their guitarist yeah right used to be the singer in a band called The Inches um, oh and sure Andrew yeah. Furs is yeah, his name. yeah 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 he did a bunch of stuff touring as an indie musician and then got the opportunity to uh, music direct on The X Factor. When right. The X Factor, they put together the first few seasons of that. Yeah. Uh, he somehow fell into that. And um, likewise, when he needed musicians to come and mime on the show, not even play, he um, he called me up and he was like, hey, man, do you want a couple of hundred bucks to like be on TV? <laughs> to pretend to play drums. Yeah. yeah. Or I was playing guitar, actually. Oh, for so, real? Even better. <laughs> yeah. It's like, do you want to come and, you know... And can you help me find some other guys? So it was me and my friend Billy and Lockie from Walk the Moon. And we were the in-house band for the first season of X Factor. Yeah, right. And we just got paid like a couple of hundred bucks every week and they'd feed you. So we got like, <laughs> and we're all like as broke as each other. So we just rock up. We'd get there early. So we'd get the lunch catering yeah. and the dinner catering. So was it all to um, track? Like how did that work? That stuff was, yeah. 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 So they all sing. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sing and but, yeah, most, all, most of the time, all the, all the instrumentation is tracked. Yeah, yeah I hope I don't get sued for this. Oh, <laughs> look, I don't yeah. think I don't think you're breaking down any magical fourth no, walls no, here. <laughs> we we're very good at it. We're very good at yeah. pretending, um, <laughs> and paid accordingly. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but there's, you know, they had this amazing band um, who were in Melbourne, and they would record all the tracks. And right, do so it, all. it sounded live. Yeah, so there's a live band behind it all, uh, and then they would send that off. And it would just get played That's on the so show. That's so weird and... that they would track it to make it sound live yeah. and then have a live band there but not let them play live. <laughs> yeah. And, and the thing is, like, we'd always get really frustrated because we'd have to learn it properly so it would look right. Yeah. And we and would know cl- the songs. We'd be like, we can play this. We'd love to play it yeah. one day. <laughs> is it, it's that classic fucking, like, that TV thing of, oh, like, Top of the Pops or whatever. It's just yeah. like, oh, we don't want anything to go wrong. Exactly. You know? And that's why they do it. And, you know, it still happens all over the world. And that's why you see those videos popping up of, you know, models playing guitar and the guitars backwards and upside down. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, that Robert well, Palmer video. Yeah, yeah. Like all that stuff. <laughs> um, that happens all the time on live TV. Yeah. Because they just they just want like a hot band. So yeah. they get a bunch of young dudes to come in and, and they look great, but they don't necessarily know what they're doing. Yeah. But we always would learn it backwards and we were, yeah, made sure we, we did a very good job. Yeah, but, yeah. So that's how I ended up playing for Reese. He was on the second season of X Factor. He won, didn't he? He won, yeah. yeah. And we would hang out with him before the show and before the performances because he was like 17 at the time and didn't really have any friends on the show. Oh, so he's, Yeah, <laughs> he was just like hanging out, getting tutored, you know, off to the <laughs> side. Bless. Um, and so, we'd yeah, we'd have lunch with him and 
and then after the show, when that all wrapped up, he, he kind of had to put a band together and put a show together. Yeah. And he just said that he wanted the band from the show. He's like, I love those guys. And we kind of <laughs> had to say to him, like, you know, we're not actually playing, right? And he's like, oh, I don't care. You can play, right? We're like, yeah, yeah, we can play. Yeah. And um, so that's how that all started. Like, just off the back of that, we did a couple of shows with him. And then it turned out that he had a massive fan base. And so to- we toured relentlessly for like two years. And before it kind of all came undone for him, he blew up massively. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. We like we went to New Zealand a bunch of times, and we played Vector Arena over there, which is like ten thousand capacity. We Nuts, did right, yeah. High Sense Arena, and like all these, uh, we did Perth Arena, all these massive shows. Horton, um, yeah, we did the Horton. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was huge for a while there. We yeah. do like fifty show dates. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, all around the country. Was Ron Welsh yeah. playing that as well? Yeah, Ro did a couple of shows. Yeah. He he kind of came on towards the end of it. Yeah, yeah. Because we yeah. had, I think we ended up having three or four bass players. There was like that classic thing of there's just one band member that can, yeah. you can never, you know, you can never hold them down. Yeah, it's usually yeah. the drummer in yeah. bands. But, <laughs> Not <yeah>. this time. <laughs> no, very free schedule. Player. Very free schedule. Yeah. But it was really fun. It was like the, the only experience I've really had where you get to do a show that many times that mm. you don't even have to think about it. And yeah. it just becomes fun. Like we'd, it got to the point where we'd be like throwing shit at each other in the middle of the set. Yeah. Um, the one bass player we had before, Rowan. I, I don't know. I think he like really liked cheese or something. Right. And so we just started giving him shit about that every night. And then it turned into we were requesting a block of cheese on the rider and Reese would make him eat it on stage. Oh, <laughs> like, a whole block of cheese. You get, you get the little kids to chant um, and he'd say that we, we weren't going to play the next song unless the bass player eats this cheese. Um, that is hysterical. Yeah. So we just ended up doing stupid shit and playing pranks on each other. And it just didn't matter because we knew the show that well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That it just became fun. Became like mindless fun. Yeah. Um, so it was nice, you know. It's, it wasn't like you know, necessarily the kind of music that I was into. Oh, sure. Um, but it was a, a touring experience that you don't really get to experience over here as, as a session player because yeah. there's no acts that really reach that level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and he's kind of since bombed out a bit and... You know, which which I think must be hard. Oh God, yeah. To you know, to peak when you're 18. <laughs> dude, yeah. I had Rob Mills on the show last year, and yeah. getting to talk to a dude like that, who you know, like you're finished after one season. You know, like they they fucking Sony or whoever will just clear the way for all these shove all these bands out of the way so they can get like the 12 finalists and yeah. have them all have like one massive single each and then when nothing comes of it it's just like alright off you go you know, you're just on your ass at like 21 or whatever the yeah. fuck well that's it I mean Reese was lucky because he made it through those initial album cycles with a fan base yeah. um, but as soon as stuff wasn't sticking and as soon as the fan base dropped off a little bit there was no secondary push to kind of help him through that. Yeah. It was just like, oh, well, who's the winner this year? Yeah, um, right? Yeah. That's that's how brutal just... that whole industry is, man. Yeah. It's fucked. Yeah. But, yeah. Have you have you kept in touch with him much? Like, have you seen him recently? Not really. No, I haven't seen him for about a year. Yeah. Um, he's still doing shows and stuff like that. But, yeah, it got to a bit of a weird stage with him where he started blaming, like, members of his team for things that were going wrong. Yeah. So he dropped his management. He kind of left Sony at one stage and yeah, and, and wanted to try different things with the band. So we ended up leaving as well because he didn't feel like, you know, it was the right fit for him. He wanted to do something that was like a bit more blues based and a bit right. more like authentic or whatever. Mm. And so he started shedding his like, you know, the things that were tying him to that pop world, which is kind of weird. Yeah. Because 
I, I never came from that world myself. Yeah, <laughs> like sure. I just landed in it. But yeah, so it was, you know, that was it was a little sad to see that happen and then for it to just bomb out completely. Yeah. But there's no hard feelings there. Whenever I see him, like we catch up and have a good chat. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. Now I'm trying to remember what came after that. Now, correct me yeah. if I'm wrong, were you playing with Shannon Noel for a while there? No, I'd no? No, never played for Noel's yet. Oh, man, I was trying to think. Yeah. Rowan ended up playing with Noel's. Yeah, Rowan did a couple of yeah. Shannon Noel gigs. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know if yeah. you two were both in on that. No. Because there was that weird run for a little while where they were just like pushing him to the moon again just because he'd come full circle in like There was that ironic kind shit. of yeah. kickback, wasn't there? Yeah. yeah. Where he's, yeah, he started popping up on the internet and yeah. embracing it. Yeah. And, um, you know, same thing happened to Dowell Braithwaite. The yeah. same thing's happening to the Veronicas right now. Yeah. It's just, like, yeah. pseudo-irony, just just like, are we actually enjoying this? Yeah. You know, like like when Toto did fucking Falls last year, yeah. you know, just, like, I think that's going to become the slot now. It's, like, it's irony and nostalgia. Yeah. Just working together to create this whole other feeling that, yeah. that gets people excited. <laughs> yeah. That'd be it. That'd Nost- be irony. It. Yeah. Post-irony. <laughs> Um, but no, oh, the, the, the funny thing for me at that time, when I was doing the Reese stuff, I also was working with Kieran J. Callanan. Um, right, yeah, I remember that coming up. Yeah. Uh, as a pretty much direct parallel at exactly the same time. Like, yeah. Kieran had just released Embracism. Oh, sure. And, um, Great record. Yeah, like literally just before that happened, he I'd met him when I was working at Alan's Music, actually. Oh, for at real, a, yeah. At a Roland V-Drum conference. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? Because his dad is like the head of Roland in Australia. So Kieran was working there just to make a few extra bucks. And I was working there as a rep for Allens or something. And him and I just hung out, like bumped into each other and hung out and became friends on Facebook. And then he put up a post not long after that saying, um, drummer required for world tour, (laughs) you know, like inquire below. (laughs) Um, and I loved his music and really loved Jack Ladder and that whole scene. So, um, I just kind of put my hand up for it. And said, "Yeah, I'd love to talk to you about this." Yeah, and um, so he organised for us to meet at uh, Rushcutters Bay Park. He told me to bring my footy boots, and <laughs> which Did I had. Have footy? Oh, no, I don't have no. footy boots. I don't play footy. <laughs> I didn't think so. Well, like soccer, you know. Um, right. And so I just rocked up, and him and a bunch of his pals were playing soccer, and I played soccer with him, and we didn't really talk about the world tour as such. Um, but he was like, "Hey, great game." Let's, uh, we're going to rehearse next week, so I'll see you there. And uh, that was it. I played for Kieran for like two years. <laughs> yeah. Um, at the same time that I was doing the, you know, the Reese Maston gig, which yeah, was yeah, yeah. a crazy parallel because I'd literally yeah, be playing to 10,000 people in Auckland. Mm. Then I would, the next day I'd fly to Melbourne and do these like underground goth gigs with yeah, Kieran yeah. at one in the morning to like 100 people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, which were just, yeah, the polar opposite. Yeah, totally. But enjoyable for completely different reasons. Yeah. Way more creatively satisfying. And just in terms of the the kind of music that he was playing and, and what I was playing, like the parts and the, the tech side of it, like the kit that I built for that show. Yeah. was just like... I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. Really twisted. And we did lots of stuff, really formative stuff for me in terms of touring the world on no money yeah. and near-death experiences oh, and all boy. sorts of stuff. I can't even imagine. Yeah. But yeah, like, 
I can imagine that's such a great contrast of performance elements as well because you're playing these pop shows, you've got to be up and bright and upbeat and dancey and whole, that whole thing, you yeah. know, like, whereas, you know, doing a show with someone like Kieran, like, you're, you're almost playing a character. Like, I remember 100%. it's just, like, can't smile on stage, just, like, motionless when you're not playing and yeah. then, you know, just very, like, craft-worky, just yeah, that pretty was, much just... that was kind of the brief. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Which Tex, who played Keys, him and I kind of figured out those characters pretty quickly. And and Kieran kind of told us ahead of time that he wanted us to look like we didn't want to be there. Yeah. Like it was <laughs> it was a real effort for us to to rock up and play these shows. And there was even um on one tour, it was kind of like when when he'd come back for the encore, he wanted us to come and just start packing up our gear yeah. while he was still performing on stage. That's great. <laughs> and that happened because we literally had to get to a show. I think we we're in the States somewhere in the middle of the States. Um, and we're on just such a small time limit to get between these shows um, that we had to be out of the venue as quickly as possible after the show so we could drive to Chicago yeah. um, for the next show. And, yeah, that was just out of necessity that that happened and then it became a part of the show. Was that your first time touring in America? Uh, yeah, it was. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was very eye-opening. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> like, you know, three of us sharing a single bed. and yeah. All sorts of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it was crazy. Doing something like that, I can imagine, would be like a real kind of baptism by fire, you know? Like, a lot of those first experiences would would have probably been pretty full on. Oh, yeah. With these, with both of those instances, even though they are very different, it's just like you're with these artists at these kind of pivotal points in their career, and then things sort of peter out, and you find yourself in in new surrounds again. Like, Mm. uh, I'm trying to think now, we'd be in like, 2014-ish, thereabouts? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think the the last shows that I did with Kieran were... Did you do the Opera House shows? Yeah. With TV that... on the radio? Yeah. Uh, no, I didn't do that one. I oh, did, with um, uh, Crowded House? Crowded House. Yeah, yeah. So that was... That was, that was my last show with Kieran, which yeah, is the Crowded House reunion shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Farewell to the world. Yeah. Amazing. Which, yeah, because he had been doing a bit more touring overseas, and it kind of got to the point where... I just couldn't afford to do it. Like, after a few runs over there, it was just kind of burning me out financially because, you know, I wasn't really getting paid enough to sustain myself to yeah, do it. Yeah, yeah. You know, as as fun as it was, just it got to the point where I wasn't really getting anything out of it um, in a creative or financial sense. And I and I kind of wanted to chase my own things. Like, I'd, I'd started building a studio back here and built up a small business with a friend of mine. And just, you know, going overseas and, and burning through a bunch of cash just wasn't really the the right thing for me at that time yeah so yeah he started playing with other people and then when he'd come back to sydney we'd do shows together and i'd kind of slot into whatever setup he had going there right yeah um but yeah the crowded house shows were kind of the last ones that i did and kind of felt like a good way to farewell the whole thing yeah because it literally was the farewell to the world yeah 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) i was like hey that's that's a good way to do it yeah for sure it was a lot of fun yeah yeah yeah. there's definitely like the best shows that i think i've played with him so what else yeah. were you kind of... What was I doing in between? Yeah. Well, I, yeah, like I just said, like I built a studio with a friend of mine in Waterloo that we called the Echo Creative. Right. Which was like a bunch of production suites. We basically started leasing a, a warehouse space. Yeah. It was in this little uh, dead dead end street in Waterloo, which is now gone. But yeah, we, we built this studio complex. We spent like six months kind of just all any kind of money that we made from doing that pop music stuff we funneled back into this facility yeah yeah we had we had a bunch of little production suites we had a live room it was kind of like a a, a big like 
creative community. And it was something that we always wanted to form because we knew so many people mm. and wanted to just kind of connect everyone. So we had like um, Ross James, who's a friend and collaborator of mine. He he had a room there. Uh, the Art vs. Science guys had a room there. Oh, sure, yeah. There's a bunch of people coming in and out. Like Alex Burnett was in there for writing sessions. Oh, cool, Chet Faker yeah. was doing some stuff. Like we had, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a really cool place and met a lot of people and made a lot of creative ties there. Um, that have lasted to this day. Yeah. Uh, but it ultimately, yeah, got bought out by uh, the big development company. Yeah. And they bulldozed the whole street. And it's like, it doesn't even exist anymore. The street's Fuck. been wiped off the map. And it's yeah. just apartments now. Um, did, which you, is, did you save all the gear and stuff? Like, yeah, yeah, we got, we got the gear. But, it's, you know, we put a lot into that place. And yeah. it was a real shame to see it go. Yeah, I can imagine. But we have still maintained that kind of sense of community. And we've just kind of moved that over to now we're all at um, Golden Retriever Studios, oh, okay. which is Burke Finger from Philadelphia Grand Jury. Oh, yeah, it's like, next door to the Red Rattler. Yeah. Yeah. That's his space. Yeah, and so, yeah, yeah. like us and the Arbor Science guys, Andy Bull, like everyone has kind of gone over there. And yeah, we all yeah, have yeah. suites there now. And so it has that same sense of community. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But it's just, yeah, it's not my like my little baby anymore. Yeah. Which is kind of sad, but that's okay. Got my own little baby. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. Yeah. <laughs> You're a baby now. You know? yeah. <laughs> can't have creative babies. <laughs> well, it's, yeah. I'm trying to think what else. You were doing, was Young Romantics your band? Yeah. 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 So Ross and I had that band uh, around that time as well. Yeah, so many projects, man. <laughs> I have to write this stuff down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, trying to make this as comprehensive as I can. Yeah, and that, that was around the same time I started playing with Andy as well. Yeah. So around that period, like 2011, 2012. Yeah. Had, um, and you were singing and playing guitar like for the first time. Like, yeah. That was the first stuff that you were like properly doing lead on. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, that was my first foray into lead singerism. That's where I got the bug. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I really love that. And there was... You know, since then I've had a few other projects. Like I had a project called Vigilantes um, with a friend of mine, Angela Ford, who was she was singing and I was playing guitar and programming beats and doing yeah, that yeah. whole thing. Yeah, there's been lots of stuff. And uh, yeah, I started playing for Gordy for a while there. Oh yeah, did, sure. Did some international Previous touring guest of the show. Yeah. Oh, she's been on as well. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Love Soph. She's the best. She's a, she's a remarkable person. Yeah. Absolutely. I don't know how she does it, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think Lockie took your place after he did, a while. For a yeah. little bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, that was another one of those situations where it's just you say yes to everything mm. and then it gets to a point where you have to say no to something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so for a while I was playing with Gordy and had just started playing with Vera Blue. Yeah. And there was just a few too many clashes to manage. And again, Gordy was doing a bit more international stuff. Yeah. And yeah. I kind of wanted to be based here for a little bit. Um just to for my own creative projects and to work in the studio and all yeah. that stuff. So, yeah, I kind of went with Vera, which I'm still doing now. Which yeah, is awesome. How did that come about? Her her people got in touch with Ross and I for her like a version, which was almost three right. years ago. Yeah, right. Because yeah, she got approached to do it and didn't have a band, and wasn't really sure how she was going to put it all together. Right. And so, yeah, yeah, we just we just kind of got together and jammed out a few things and worked out a version of one of her songs, and it was just like, I guess that energy wasn't immediately there. You know, like I, th I think maybe Ross and I being friends and already having that connection, it's like when people come into that vibe, it's very easy, you know, to form that bond mm. and for it to feel like pretty, pretty easy and pretty chilled straight away. Yeah. And yeah, it was just, it was just like that straight away. It just felt like a little family unit, which was really nice. And what was the cover? Uh, it was Jack Garrett. Oh, okay. Uh, Breathe Life. Oh, cool. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, it was pretty fun. Yeah, we did it kind of like 
halftime, very electronic, like yeah. a bunch of BVs and weird stuff. And it was, it was kind of the first time that we'd worked with an artist and like gotten her to cut up her voice and play it as an instrument. Oh, on cool, pad nice, yeah, cool stuff. Which is like something that's really evolved for her now. Like, it's, yeah, she, yeah, yeah, she does that in the show, like consistently yeah. you know and she's really great at that stuff so are you MD for her now yeah Ross yeah. and I both do that we share yeah. that job which is great because we kind of can pick up different little areas like Ross is really good with I guess like <clears throat> in terms of delegating parts and pulling pulling apart new songs and kind of finding ways for us all to play those parts in, in an interesting way rather than mm. just you know playing to backing tracks yeah it's a lot of sampling and a lot of that stuff and he's he's very tech minded in terms of you know his Ableton proficiency. And I guess for me, it's it's more about like um, the set list construction and how the set flows and making little interludes and little special moments in the show. And I guess using that theatricality that I've learned from people like Kieran and, you know, doing those bigger arena shows with Reese and stuff like yeah, And yeah, funneling all that back into, you know, a show that is kind of somewhere in between those. Yeah, like a yeah. Venn diagram. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Finding that, finding that middle ground. It is, yeah. 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 I can imagine that would be even cooler now, like when some of those artists that you're working with are hitting those bigger stages and you're like reaching like theatre status and stuff like that. And you really get to kind of creatively expand and do stuff that, you know, in other kind of spaces you normally wouldn't have gotten the chance to do. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You, you really get to flex, which is nice. You're like, oh, I know how to do this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or I've had this like crazy idea that no one can afford. Yeah. Let's, like, <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> And in the same token, it's it's so nice for me to work with all these different artists because when I do my own stuff, when I do the Not A Boy's Name stuff, I can just use little bits and pieces of those shows and, you know, again, like funnel that into into my own show and, and figure out interesting ways for me to do things and in a smaller scale Yeah. while I've had those years of just watching other people do that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I've, I've learned so much, even just instinctively, like picking up those things. How long was that kind of on the back burner? Like, were you always kind of angling to do another solo thing, but it was always just like a matter of timing it out again? You know, with the now the calendar is like pretty fucking full at this point. Uh, yeah. yeah. No, it was, it was never like a thought. Uh, of mine to to kind of strategically plan it. It kind of happened. I was overseas with Vera at the time mm. um, in the states, and I met this amazing duo called Om, which is these two girls that live in Chicago who are just incredible musicians. Like one of them plays violin, the other plays keys amazingly, and they're both beautiful singers. Yeah. Um, but they have this band where they both play guitar. It's not their first instrument by any means, but they both play guitar right. and use all these effects pedals. And I just saw them perform. And got chatting to them, and we just instantly hit it off. Mm. And like, anytime I'm in the states or I'm passing through Chicago, we always catch up, and they kind of take me around town, and you know, take me to like weird improv gigs, and yeah. just all, all this stuff that you know you would never get a chance to see. And I was in the middle of a, a pretty long tour with Vera, and I just hadn't done anything for myself for ages. Mm. I was just feeling a little bit burnt out creatively. And I just felt like, you know, sitting on a bunch of demos that I'd had for years. Um, and I just really wanted to make something of it. And I didn't really know how because I think I'd surrounded myself by so many artists that were doing things in a really focused sense um, and being successful, you know, yeah. like really nailing it and like getting play on Triple J and you know, smashing it in, on the like electronic scene and I just felt like the stuff that I was doing was maybe too organic or too guitar-based or just a bit too weird to yeah, yeah, be yeah. successful. Sure. Because I wasn't really experiencing experiencing anything like that with any of these artists that I was working with. And then I hung out with these girls, uh, Om, 
just for another day, like when I was in between touring in Chicago and I just got reinvigorated. I just had this sense of like, wow, like these guys are making this music that's so left of center and they're, they're just doing it for themselves. Yeah. And they're part of this like really cool scene where people are just making music and they're just making music because they love it. And it's, it doesn't particularly fit any, any specific mold. Um, and so when I got back from that tour with Vera, I just sat down like literally the next day and just started bashing out an idea. And even when I was thinking about vocal melodies and stuff, I was like, well, how would the girls sing this? Like what, you know, what would their brain tell them to do rather than trying to fit into some other mold? So I just ended up writing this song, which became the first single that I released as Not A Boy's Name. Right. And it was the first song that I felt really good about that I'd written in a really long time. Um, so I started showing my friends. Yeah. And then uh, a friend of mine was like, oh, you should show this to Ali at Island, which I did. And she heard it and I showed her a bunch of other demos. And, you know, within weeks we were talking about a deal and yeah. about releasing that song specifically in the form that I had recorded it on that day just as a demo. Yeah. Uh, and that's ultimately how it came out as well. Yeah. So it all just kind of snowballed, really. Like I just got inspired, wrote a song. And then since then have written many. <laughs> and it's a, it's a real thing. It's so nice now to like, you know, to have that validation of being able to play shows and have people come to the shows that like the music that don't necessarily know anything about where I'm from or, yeah. or any of that. And it's, yeah, it's t- it turned into its own thing. Well, on that note, like, uh, were you reticent about like labeling it as like Dave Jenkins Jr. or anything like that? Like, were, yeah. you, were you kind of like intentionally kind of like hiding that in a way yeah yeah i think so it, it uh definitely initially i felt like i kind of needed some sort of pseudonym which is why i called it not a boy's name yeah um because i didn't want to call it dave jenkins jr i didn't yeah. want to call it my name yeah um just because of all those links to the stuff i've done in the past yeah. and the session world and you know because i don't i don't really feel like there's anything that romantic about session musicians making their own music. <laughs> because usually, you know, if you, you think of a session musician, you think of some guy that's gone and studied music and is like the top of his class and that's why he's getting paid to play music. Yeah. Is, you know, because they're a master of their craft, mm. which is definitely not where I'm coming from. <laughs> like, yeah. I totally just fell into this whole scene. And when I write music, it's not, you know, it's not because I know how to do it. It is, it is coming from a, a sensitive place, like an emotional place. Yeah. And it's coming from a place of needing to do it rather than, you know, wanting to do it for any sort of like financial means or anything. Yeah, sure. So for me, I was just like, I just, I just want this to be its own thing. And I want people to be able to listen to this in an unbiased sense. Yeah. I guess. Which is hard because <laughs> sure. as soon as people hear it, they want to know the story behind it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so when it came out, it's, you know, it, those, those links were kind of already there when people were talking about it. Which is fine, you know. It doesn't, doesn't bother me at all now. Um, but I think initially I was just a little bit scared of that. When was the first time you played uh, with that project? I think oh, we supported uh, Handsome at uh, the Lansdowne. Oh, Caitlin, yeah, yeah. L- yeah, last Not to year? be confused with Hanson. Not Hanson, no. <laughs> Although that would be cool. That would be very cool. <laughs> <laughs> I used to get called that in high school. Oh. And I had with Alex because we all had long hair. Oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> it was the 90s, man. Yeah, we get called all sorts of things. <laughs> Anytime we'd like appear on stage in high school. Yeah. Hanson. Yeah. Classic. Yeah. <laughs> and we'd follow that up by just playing some like Metallica song or something. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Blowing that school assembly away, man. Woo! Um, yeah, it was last year with with Handsome. 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 <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, and then we did Big Sound last year as well, which was awesome. 
which is a, a really nice thing to do because it was a chance to kind of showcase it to the industry. How did you and, go about bringing people in to, to play with you? Uh, it was kind of, yeah, I, I kind of used the contacts that I had and the, the people that I'd already played with to kind of handpick my ultimate band. Yeah. And so I got Rosie from I Know Leopard. Yeah. I'd, I'd never actually played with Rosie, but I'd just seen her around and seen her play with I Know Leopard. And I yeah. was like, she's amazing. Also previous guest of the show. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, good. I haven't listened to that one. I'll check it out. Well, at the time of this being recorded, it's not out yet, but it oh. will be out in a matter of days. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, so this will be coming out in the future. Amazing. Where the episode will have been out for several weeks. Ah. <laughs> Confusing podcast world. Right? Yeah. Uh. <laughs> a lot, of, lot yep. of conflicting timelines. That's why you can never plug anything in a podcast. Yeah. Because it's not going to come out for months. <laughs> It'll date terribly. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so like Rosie, I was just like, she's the best. Yeah. And I just... Love everything about her. And we've uh, written a little bit together, and she's sung oh, awesome. on a few of my songs yeah, that yeah, haven't yeah. been released yet. And then my friend Ben, who is one of the guys who I showed my music to, um, he was like the first person I played, has a perception test too. Mm. Uh, and him and I had played with a few artists before. Um, we were in Lisa Mitchell's band together for a little while. Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So um, Ben Corbett and Dan Williams from Art versus Science. Oh, who had a, true. a big history with and of course, I just think yeah. he's amazing. I love the way he he's plays a drums. Weapon. Yeah. He's just his energy is like <clears throat> it's kind of opposite, you know, because for me after playing with Kieran and doing all this stuff like I've just become a bit stone-faced when I play. Yeah. Like I find it hard to show emotion because for years I was suppressing it yeah. trying to like play for Kieran and Dan is the opposite of that. Happiest like, drummer alive. Yeah. yeah. He like laughs maniacally when he's playing. Yeah. And it's, there's nothing better than like turning around and seeing that. Have you ever seen him do his party trick of eating a sandwich while playing a disco beat at the same time? No, but I have seen him eat a chicken parmigiana. That's at fucking. Vic on the park that's while, even better. <laughs> while playing one of my songs. So. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he was. He just didn't have time for dinner, so <laughs> and we had to go on. <laughs> you got to appreciate that hustle, hey! Mm. If you can just nail that shit yep. with one foot and one hand, then you're sweet. Chicken palmy on the floor, Tom. <laughs> it's <was> very impressive. <laughs> Fucking amazing. Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. So that's that's kind of my ultimate band, and you know, every now and then someone won't be available, but my sub for Dan is Luke from the Preachers. He's oh, he yeah. did big sound with me last year. He's also year. playing in on Leopard as well. Yeah. 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 And uh, Dan Mack from Artverse Science has played guitar for a few gigs. Oh, sweet. And, uh, Ro, who did the Reese gigs for me, he's played a few shows on bass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's it's kind of nice to have those connections and to always have a band. Yeah, totally. Um, and there's a few guys in Melbourne that play with me as well. So it's nice. It's it's really awesome. I feel very blessed to have such good musicians yeah. play the, the parts that I write and record. No doubt. Yeah. So here we are, Year of Our Lord 2019. So you have... Uh, not a boy's name, which is all, all, obviously all yours. And so you've got that. You're yeah. MDing for, for Vera. Vera. Yeah, yeah. Are you right. doing that for anyone else at the moment? Uh, Ross and I were doing Wafia for a while. I think oh, she's yeah, kind of yeah, yeah. off cycle at the moment. Um, who else is there in the pipeline? There's a few. I've been helping out Allies quite a bit. Remember oh, Bro- shit. Brooke Adamo? Yeah, I remember yeah. Brooke. She's I didn't know some, she was doing music again. Yeah, she's got some she's new stuff coming out. She's gone for ages. Up. Yeah. <laughs> well, she's she's been uh, the voice of flight facilities for the last couple oh, of years. Oh, yeah, right. Like so, singing with them live. Yeah. Yeah, yeah right. So okay. she's just been kind of doing that. Yeah. Um, but she's got some really cool new stuff. Yeah, nice. And she's been doing the show just as like a, a solo show with, yeah. with tracks and like a cool visuals and yeah. um, 
Yeah, so I helped her put that show you guys together did recently. The, the Bullseye tour, remember? Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> 2010, I think that was. Yeah, that's, that's right. Back in back in the good old days. Ah, oh, classic. Um, yeah, so yeah, her and I have been working on this new show of hers. Uh, I play for Eve's Caritas as well. Oh, cool. Doing that. And um, yeah, lots of little bits and pieces that are popping up. Uh, there's a young guy, Fergus James, who I've been helping out. Okay. Um, yeah, so I find now, which is a role that I, I really enjoy, is kind of helping people out on the back end of stuff and yeah. not necessarily going on the road. You know, working with them on their show, helping them find a really good band that is really keen to tour. Yeah. Because there's a lot of young dudes out there that's, you know, the, the guys that contact me and ask how I got in the biz. It's yeah, like they're yeah, the yeah. kind of guys that I want this work to trickle down to and to bring on like that next that next little wave of musicians in Sydney. Yeah. So it's nice to be able to do that and to also kind of focus and prioritize my own stuff. That's what I really want to do from this point on. Yeah, really prioritize the not a boy's name stuff, get the the next few singles out, do a bunch of touring and also be able to help out artists in the meantime and yeah. kind of, you know, facilitate what I want to do yeah. by helping being you know, there for them even if you can't literally be there for yeah. them. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It kind of works out really well. And also producing and writing as well as yeah. much as possible. Yeah. Which I I really love. And that's uh, that's what I'm doing after this. Actually, going to Daniel Johns's house to do a few Holy sessions. Holy shit! Yeah, should be fun. Nice and casual. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I've been working with him for off and on for a few years now. Oh yeah, you did um, the you did the opera house like the Vivid shows. Yeah, yeah. Those so are the we, only like Dan, quote unquote Daniel Johns shows that there's been. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, we did we did two shows, <laughs> and a month of rehearsal. Yeah, uh, it was a bit of a bummer because. It's that was like career highlight for me. Like doing that show, yeah, was um, especially like being a fan of his music as a teenager. And well, obviously, like, who, yeah, who wasn't? You you're know? A, yeah, <laughs> like, Sandy Coast. You're only that that much far away from Newcastle. Yeah, like you would have grown up idolizing those guys. That's right. To see guys, you know, from that that part of the world go off and you know become like international successes. It's kind of like what everyone dreams of, yeah. and to see them do it is yeah, you know, yeah. It's like you know, incredibly enabling. For, for teenagers yeah. that like that kind of music. So, totally. Yeah, to be able to kind of come full circle and be a part of those those live shows, which were his first solo shows, yeah. which were fucking amazing. Yeah. Like, the level of production and, I don't did you get to see any of those? Yeah, I went to the first night. Oh, right. Yeah. Wow. It was fantastic. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was wild. It was um, probably the most involved show that I've been a part of as well. Yeah. Like, like I said, like we spent a month rehearsing for that, and every day it was like pulling things apart, putting them back together, figuring out how we could play these songs that were never kind of intended to be played. Live. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then also kind of like forcing him into playing some Silverchair songs. As yeah, well, yeah. Which he begrudgingly did, but yeah. So we we kind of connected when we were doing that, and when we were working on his stuff to mm. play live, we'd just end up jamming me and a, a bunch of the guys in the band. And uh, yeah, a couple of years ago, we just started going to his house. Um, infrequently, like for a few days at a time. Right. And working on music and started this... It was initially going to be for his solo stuff, but then we were all putting in so much and contributing so much to this... Um, to this... What became a project um, is... So we, we... Yeah, we ended up giving it a name and starting a band. And so it's called Boom Tish. Yeah, right. Because um, that's what Daniel calls drums. <laughs> <laughs> He'll write something by himself. He's like, need needs some boom tish. Yeah. And so we ended up calling the band Boom Tish. Um, and we haven't done it for like over a year. And so today is like the first time that we're actually all going to get back together at his house and record for a few days and see what happens. What does it sound like? 
Uh, good question. It's <laughs> not Frog Stomp, I'm assuming. No, it doesn't sound like Frog Stomp. And but you know, initially he was um, really hesitant to play any guitar. You know, when we're writing, yeah, he'd yeah. want to play keys or he'd just want to sing. And so we'd all set up in his lounge room because he's got this amazing house that kind of overlooks the the coast of Newcastle. It's like being in the Hollywood Hills or something. Yeah, like it's, wow. it's beautiful. And so we just kind of turned that into a studio for a few days. Um, and we just started jamming. And it was initially really electronic. And we'd just jam for hours. And I'd record it all. Mm. I'd record these like four or five-hour jams of him just singing the whole time. And then I'd go through the next day, chop it all up, and kind of pick bits that I thought sounded like a song. Yeah. Then play it back to everyone. And then we'd work on the songs from there and kind of yeah, craft yeah, yeah. them as, I guess, you know, more, more so like pop songs. Than um, these free form jam- freeform jams. Yeah. But since then, you know, I've kind of forced him into playing a little bit more guitar, and we've kind of taken it back to being a little bit more organic. Like I brought a drum kit to his house, and we started recording things on a cassette and using his grand piano. And so, what started off sounding more like his solo stuff has kind of taken a step back and is starting to sound. Yeah, a little bit more like seventies John Lennon inspired stuff. Interesting, which is it's really cool. Yeah, um, and it's really nice to hear him flexing in that way again as well, in a real like songwriting sense. Yeah, in yeah. a real musical sense. Like as soon as he picks up a guitar, you just you just hear that guy. You're like, yeah. oh my god, that's him. You know, that's that that's that um that genius that everyone talks about. It can be quite hard because you just give him a guitar and you're like, oh come up come up with something for this yeah. and he'll just come up with like 10 ideas that are dynamite yeah yeah and yeah and just sound amazing so it's yeah it's it's really fun but we end up just getting so much music that it can be kind of hard to even find the songs sometimes yeah but yeah it's it's, it's really exciting I can't wait to get back up there and see what happens love to release it sometime yeah we've sure. got about 12 songs that we've produced and are finished we have an album basically yeah yeah, yeah. it's just about finding a place for it because he, he's got another solo record coming out. Like, I've got my own stuff. Yeah. Bo and Jake in the band both have their solo things. So, yeah, we're going to make it all work. Man. But <laughs> it's fun. It's just another thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's just one thing after yeah. the other, man. <laughs> another one of the creative babies. Yeah. Daddy's coming home. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Coming uh, home to Boomtish. Oh, hell yeah. For a few days. Oh, goddamn. Well, Dave, we will wrap it up there. But before we do that, I asked this of all of my guests, and now it is your turn. Yeah. I want to know about the best and the worst shows that you have ever played. All right. That's uh, it's an interesting question because I think sometimes the worst shows, they can be rewarding in their own way. Yeah. You know, like I was talking yeah. about uh, that tour that I did with Kieran in the States, the, f- the first time I ever went around the States. We basically ran out of money and had nowhere to stay and, you know... <sighs> I'd say, like, the worst show that we played on that tour, uh, we were in Minneapolis, and we played at this really small venue that was also a bowling alley. You know, they have those those places in the States that are, like, a restaurant, a bowling right. alley, and they have yeah. theater shows. <laughs> we, we, it was kind of like in uh, Spinal Tap, how they have the puppet show, and then they have yeah, the band. Yeah. <laughs> they had, yeah, they had a theater show on before us in this room, and then we ended up playing in this weird little theater, and we did our full, like, Kieran J. Callanan performance where we're all wearing like turtlenecks, very straight faced, and he does his whole shtick. There was no one there. Like we played to two people and they both worked there. Wow. <laughs> and that was it. But we did the full show. But we'd driven like six or seven hours to get there, set up all our stuff, did the show, and then that was it. And then we packed up. 
<laughs> and we got applause by the the bar staff. That's fucking they were really surreal. Um, but we did that a lot on that tour. But then played to literally no one. Literally no one, and that that happened quite a lot, and that was very eye opening for me. But then on you know that same night, those two people that watched the show kind of became like lifelong friends of mine. Like I see them every time I'm in Minneapolis now. No shit. And um, yeah, the one girl we ended up going back to her house and staying there because obviously we had nowhere to stay. And that night I had I I think we we had like a little bit of a party and whatever. I just got kind of tired, <clears throat> retired to one of the rooms upstairs. And I remember going into this small room. It's a really old house. And it was like kind of a bit of a creepy room. Like there was this really high bed. There was all these dolls in the room and like doilies. And there was like a picture of this old woman. And I was like, oh, this must be her like grandmother's room or something. And I I have this memory of her telling me that it was her grandmother's room. Anyway, I went to sleep and I had this weird like sleep paralysis moment where I woke up and saw an old woman sitting at the foot of the bed and she reached out and put her hand on my chest and then I woke up immediately and just kind of got the hell out of there, woke everyone up and we drove to the next city and that was it. And I kind of forgot about that for a few years. Yeah. And then I ran into that girl again when I played in Minneapolis the next time with a different artist and I mentioned that scenario and I said, oh, I remember your old house that... um, uh, you know, you're like your grandmother's house or whatever. I, I slept in that creepy room upstairs with all the dolls. And she, like, looked at me really seriously. And she was like, there was no room with dolls in it, in that house. I was like, what? She's like, there was never any room in my house that had dolls in it. I was like, no, but it was like it was like your grandma's room or something. You remember you said that? She's like, no, nah, that never happened. And I was like, oh. It was weird because I had this dream. And there was, like, an old woman sitting on the bed. And she grabbed her friend who was, like, having another conversation across the room. And she was like, Gaia, tell Dave what you saw when you slept in that room. And her friend had seen the exact same thing in this creepy old house. Jesus Christ. And I don't believe in ghosts or anything. Like, I'm not a supernatural kind of guy. But that, like, chilled me when she said that. fuck, dude. And so I think, uh, yeah, retrospectively, looking back, that was probably the worst show. Yeah. (laughs) Definitely the spookiest. The spookiest night of my life. (laughs) Fucking so, hell. Yeah, one of the worst anyway. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Playing to no one and then like, you know, sleeping in a haunted house. <laughs> yeah. It's like, right up there. Yeah, that'll do it. Yeah. Uh, and the best one, I guess, would be, yeah, there's uh, one of the Daniel Johns shows that we played at the Opera House. Yeah. You know, definitely one of the most rewarding experiences and just like, yeah, real career highlight stuff to be able to take on something of that magnitude because I think we played like 25 songs and they're yeah. all really, really consuming, like mentally and technically. And yeah, for us to come off the back of that and just really nail it. And I know people like Richard Kingsmill have said it's one of his favorite live performances that he's ever seen. Yeah. Which I think is huge. It's a huge accolade Definitely. to, you know, especially in this country. Oh, for sure. So I'd say that's probably the best. Hell yeah. Yeah. Unreal. That's it. That's it. (laughs) That's the end of that chapter. That's the end of that chapter, exactly. Are you planning to put out an EP with Not A Boy's Name, or is there an EP out? Yeah. uh, Well, there's there's not an EP out now. I've got the two tracks, just the first two singles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a few contenders for the next one. So Mm. I think the next step is to get that next single out, do a bunch more touring, because we just did a little headline tour um, just in Sydney and Melbourne. Yeah. And just the response to that was amazing. Like, just played small rooms, but we packed them both out and... You know, people showed up and they were singing the words to the songs and, you know, bought some (laughs) T-shirts. Which is really, really the end game here, isn't it? 
It's a real thing. Yeah. People are investing in me financially. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think that that's the next thing for me. I really want to put out an album, which is yeah. kind of what I'm gunning for, and that's something that I've been working on since I kind of, I guess, I th- since I started this project and since I made that mental note to, like, you know, prioritize this. Yeah. That's that's what I've been working on. I've got a couple of really good songs and, yeah, a big batch of songs that I want to get out ASAP. Fuck so yeah. We'll see. Yeah, nice one. Yeah. And uh, touring schedule for the rest of the year is pretty full? Yeah, uh, we're doing a big one with Vera. Uh, we're doing, like, a big regional run in August, September. Oh, sick. Uh, which would be really cool. That would be really fun. It's like I was saying, we've got, like, just a really nice family unit. Yeah. That now and so that's going to be fun and also doing Splendor in the Grass with Fergus James. Uh, I might do some big sound stuff with some people. Yeah. Uh-huh. And yeah, lots of stuff. It's all happening. It's all happening <laughs> and lots of studio stuff as well, which is exciting. Perfect. Yeah. Well, I look forward to all of it immensely, Dave. It has been so great to chat to you about all of this, man. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, David. Absolute pleasure. I'm David Jim Jones. All my friends. Are here.